0: Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 443. It's a good one. Look out.
1: This business, it's about the people. If you don't take the time to invest in your people and teach your people and set expectations for them and hold them to those expectations, I don't think you're going to succeed in any walk of life. Are you ready for it?
0: Payroll and benefits are hard, especially when you're a small business. Gusto is making payroll benefits and HR easy for modern small businesses. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service to take care of your team. To help support Restaurant Unstoppable, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited-time deal. Sign up today, and you'll get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash unstoppable. 89% 89% of guests research a restaurant online before dining out. Your website is your first impression. So answer me this question honestly. What does your website say about your restaurant? Also, websites are no longer static brochures. They're dynamic tools that can help you drive revenue. Head over to getbento.com and see why thousands of restaurants trust Bento Box with their websites. And if you mention restaurants unstoppable, you You can save up to $1,500 on initial setup. Get on it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guests, Jessica and Thad Kittrell. Jessica, Thad, are you two feeling unstoppable today?
2: Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. yes.
0: Yeah, that's what we like to hear. So Thad and Jessica Cottrell met in 2002 while working at the Capitol Athletic Club in Columbus, Ohio. Thad was the executive chef. Jessica was the banquet manager. From the time they met, they started envisioning what their future would look like as owners of their very own brew pub. In 2012, that vision materialized as 101 Beer Kitchen. Six years later, they're operating three locations around the Columbus, Ohio area. So obviously, we're just scraping the surface. We're not diving in deep, but we will as time goes on. Let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. What do you guys have for us? Who's going first?
1: <laughs> I think one of the biggest things for us has always been the people, and our my mantra throughout the years has been: "Give me somebody who cares." and gives a crap about their job, and we can teach them anything.
2: Mm.
0: And do you have anything to add to that, Jessica?
2: Um, One that I stress is everybody's working for the weekend. None of us are trust fund babies in this company, so uh, we should have fun at work and love what we do.
0: Beautiful. So, uh, typically, I like to start these conversations with where it all started for you guys. So. It sounds like we'll start with that because you had known from an early point that you were probably going to be making this a career. So when did you know? Like, when did you commit yourself to this industry?
1: I had been working in restaurants for probably six or seven years and paying at this time my way through college. And I was working at a restaurant called the Capital Club and Excuse me, at a restaurant called Fox Fires in Muncie, Indiana, and uh, to pay for college, which I was studying to be a dentist. Um, <laughs> and it was through that job where the chef really took me under his wing and showed me a lot about scratch cooking and, you know, breaking down game and fish, and, you know, where I really started to get a passion for it. So I completed college, and after after college, went on to culinary school after that knowing that this is what i wanted to do with the rest of my life
0: side note you're at the new england culinary institute of america or yeah right yep uh yep. the name uh i wrote it down someplace let me find it real quick sorry <laughs> robert burrell ring a bell yes yeah he was a past guest in the show and i know he was an instructor over there so i saw that and i was like he was a great guest sorry side note
1: yeah he, he was, was awesome. i believe my dinners instructor, instructor in, the, in the second year, he
0: started cafe Provence in Vermont or someplace around him. It's a pretty anyway, side note, small world. Um, so, uh, at what point did you actually know that this was going to be what you wanted to lean into? And is there a moment you can bring us to where like, it, it like all kind of came together and you're like, this is it
1: that we wanted to open a place or that I knew that this was going to be my career,
0: your, your career, your path.
1: Yeah, actually it was, um, we were cooking on the line during pre-opening of Fox Fires and somebody we were it was crazy nobody really knew what was going on and uh, somebody actually broke a plate and it broke in all the glass and the pasta and the sauces that are you know set up on the line and instantly it kicked in for me to just start fixing it yeah. you know and i remember You know, it was probably a 15, 20 minute lag to remake a bunch of the dishes and, you know, get guys setting up, resetting up the line, throwing product away. But, you know, we got through that push and that rush and, you know, the chef pulled me aside and he's like, I've never really seen anything like that, how you handle it. And I hadn't been trained for that. Like it was just something that kind of came instinctually to me. And from that moment is when. In my mind, I really started excel and take a, a huge interest in this industry, and start to you know read and cook at home. And so, you know. let's pull back a layer on
0: this. When you said I've never seen anybody handle it like that, exactly how was it that you handled it? Was it just not being having be told? Was it how you coordinated the kitchen and uh, organized the the series of events that happened thereafter? Like what? Get into detail.
1: Honestly, it was it was all of it. Yeah. Um, you know, it was. I wasn't a leader. I was just a line cook, you know, that they had hired. Um, I'd been washing dishes. It was really my first real cook job. Mm -hmm. Um, And I got the opportunity to cook and was just kind of working my way through it. But it was the fact that I could delegate to others without that really being my position. But Mm -hmm. just knowing, like, this is what needs to be done. This is how we need to fix the problem. And while doing it myself, so, you know, I think one of the things that's, you know, been a huge part of our success is really leading by example. So, you know, leading, but doing and coordinating and, you know, and not feeling the pressure of it. You know, I mean, there's always pressure, but not letting that overwhelm you, I guess. So.
0: I gotta. I don't know if you guys picked up that dog groan in the background, but we've got two uh, of uh, the family members sitting with us. So if you hear any more groans, it's not Jessica. It's not that. It's not me. It's the one of the two dogs <laughs> sitting right beside us. Um, so I, to summarize this what you just shared with us, uh, it, it is so important in my opinion to to say something to somebody when you recognize something in them, and I think. Th- we don't do it enough when we, when we see somebody who's good at something or has a real talent for something, tell them you could help them choose. Like for you, this was the pivotal a pivotal point. Like we need to know where we fit in society. We need to know what we're good at. And sometimes we can't tell unless you tell them or tell us that we are good at it. So it's so important.
1: Yeah. It's a really interesting point because I think that, um, Honestly, it could have been in any career mm. and I would have done that. Yeah. I would have been like, this is the thing yeah. for me. But it was the the fact that the, the executive chef at that time stopped afterwards and said, I don't know, you have something here yeah. and you could do something with this. And, you know, I mean, I enjoyed it and, you know, so it gave me that push.
0: I full heartedly believe that's where passion is found. It's not necessarily the thing that you're doing. It's being recognized for being good at the thing and it's that reward that, it makes you fall in love with it. So it's so, so critical. If you, if you have anybody on, your, anybody on your team who's got it, let them know they have it because they could be with you for a long time because you let them know. Um, so what was your, I don't want to spend too much time on the, the early days, but uh, reflecting back at your career, uh, I think you it was 96, you graduated. By like 97 or 98, you were an executive chef some places. Yep. Uh, any key mentors between the time um, from where you broke out and started becoming an executive chef in where you met Jessica, that we should spend some time learning. You from
1: know, your I, I would say there was there was three main ones, um, and one was at Foxfires. Tony huesler mm-hmm. he's the one who kind of embraced me um, after after that incident and really you know took me under his wing. There was one instructor at um, Culinary School, Michelle bourne He was one of the the founding members of the school, and again he was an individual that just kind of took me under his wing and you know uh i was fortunate i I excelled in the class classroom it came naturally to me so he was very influential in getting me my first not executive chef job but real real professional job in this industry at the everest room in chicago um you know michelle Chef LeBorn was from France and he's this is one of the best restaurants I've ever eaten at in the world and uh, he got me in there as an internship and I stayed there for multiple years before moving to Columbus, Ohio. And then from there shortly thereafter I had my first executive chef career. So
0: what was your biggest lesson from this guy? He he helped you out, he he guided you, but what did you learn from him on how to be from on how to chef be. Joho yeah. or yeah. Chef LeBorn? Uh who came first?
1: Uh, Chef Huesler. <laughs> <laughs> After Huesler? Which that was Michelle LeBorn at okay. the culinary You pick.
0: School. Just pick one lesson from I, you each You know, note. I
1: think to me it was, um, it was a combination package for all, uh, for all of them. Um, I think I've been very fortunate to uh, kind of sum up all three of them a little bit. I've seen a lot of good and bad examples through my yeah. career of stuff to do and stuff not to do. Um, all three of them were ex- excellent chefs. Um You know, and they some of them would really push the people part of it. And I think that's, you know, that's the most important thing I think today as being a business owner that we realize like, you know, I can have all the talent in the world or she can or any of our colleagues could we can't do it all Mm -hmm. i need my dishwasher and i need my busboy i need them to excel at their job and not only to excel but to care about what they're doing um and and that's one of the things that chef leborn and chef huesler really taught me you know um is that you can't do it alone you Mm -hmm. can have all the talent in the world but if you're if this thing's not humming it's going to fall apart somewhere, you know, and, and those gentlemen were vi- so influential with that. And, you know, um, they didn't hand out the praise to everybody. You know, it, it took the right individuals to earn it. Yeah. yeah. Um,
0: Which is another lesson in itself. You shouldn't reward people if they haven't earned it.
1: Right. And and I think that was, you know, that was really influential in my career is just learning that it's okay Obviously, to have standards, but then when they're being met, to recognize those from the individuals that are doing a great job, and when they're not, it's okay to fix that too. You know, um, because if you let it slide, that's when the business starts to slide. I think.
0: So it was in two thousand, or sorry, nineteen ninety seven. You got your first executive chef role. Um, how did you
1: evolve as an executive chef? Um, from from the first one, I I was pretty. Bad at it, okay, to what, be honest, what made you bad um, you know I just talked about Chef Leborn and Chef Usler being great and helped me understand people, but it took me a few years to really understand the importance of that mm. um, The last chef that I mentioned at the Everest room chef Joho, um, he was a phenomenal cook. he was not a people person. he was the crazy Alsatian chef who would chase you around in the kitchen with literally a knife if you <laughs> did something wrong or i 'd seen him throw stuff at people and you know, I got my first executive chef job when I was 24 at uh, 55 at Crosswoods, which at that time was one of, the, one of the biggest restaurants and most successful restaurants in the city. And I was not a good person. I was, it's my way or the highway. I was, you know, Mr. Attitude. Um, I didn't throw things at people, but I was a hothead and all that. Is there stuff, a
0: specific so. moment where you can reflect back on a situation that might have resulted from your being who you were at that time
1: um not that i can remember a a specific incident you know i mean i i i remember after i left the Capitol club my demeanor really started to change okay you know that's when it became more team oriented and you know that's when i started to work at at brio and like it was um but the, I can't remember one specific incident that made that click for me.
0: So before we get to the Capital Club, is there anything else, any key moments of your career, any like aha moments uh, that you can drop on us before we kind of bring Jessica uh, into the picture?
1: Yeah, I would say, you know, um, at, at the 55 Restaurant Group, the whole company after a couple of years was having having quite a bit of struggles. It's probably one of the one of the more important lessons I had learned throughout my life. Um, They wanted to reconceptualize that restaurant and they, and we um, came up with a French bistro concept called Voila. And we, you know, we poured a lot of time, energy, hard work into it. Uh, It was something that we were all very passionate about. And I think we had a a great idea and a great brand. Um, But it's one of the biggest failures I think that I, I I've had because it, the whole company collapsed. I think they had 11 or 12 restaurants or something at the time. And um, it failed after about a year and a half or two years. Um, I took it personally, um, because a a lot of it was, you know, my pushing, I think Mm -hmm. this is great. You know, this is a type of food that I mean, it's a scratch made food that Mm. people really enjoy bistro food. And um, but I also learned that I needed to be in control of some of the decision making. You know, I mean, we had a great idea, but we weren't doing everything how I would have done it, which is fine. I wasn't paying the bills. I understood my roles. You're still
0: young, and we're going back twenty years yeah. almost at this point.
1: Yeah, but uh, that was one of the things that I really took from that is uh, I knew somewhere down the line I would want to be the one that put my money where my mouth is. so like
0: like 20 years of experience since this time knowing what you know today reflecting back at that time what would you say was the demise of this restaurant group what were they doing wrong where were they weak Uh, without mentioning any names specifically but
1: um i think it became too much about the numbers um wasn't about the people and i think they lost vision somewhat of the product that they were serving um and it was you know how do we get more guests in here not from a value standpoint but any way we could whether Mm -hmm. it be discounting or you know and that stuff's such a slippery slope Mm -hmm. i mean I, i i i I think I have a very good grasp on the business end of this industry. Um, But once you go there, you can't come back, and then it just gets worse and worse and worse. And and I think that was the initial tipping point in my mind um, that put them down that road, and then it just kind of snowballed.
0: Thank you. Yeah, thank you for getting deeper into that. So uh, you eventually end up at the Capital Club uh, 99. You're there from 99 to 2003. Did you come in as the executive chef?
1: I did. Um, that was after after Fifty Five Restaurant Group closed. Um, I took that job on. Um, it was different. It was very different. I came in as the executive chef, um, and then eventually took on the role of food and beverage director and executive chef. After I think about a year, year and a half. So. Um, each move that I have made in my career, I've tried to make it purposeful. Mm. Um, I wanted to continue to learn, so I wanted to go there to learn more about the front of the house, mm-hmm. a little bit more about guest service. I mean, it's e- I don't want to say it's easy from the chef perspective, but like I make a product and somebody else deals with the people, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I wouldn't say it's something I'm super comfortable with, but I've learned how to do it and I'm proficient at it, you know. Um, and that was that was kind of the goal of going to the capital club. Is okay. It, it, you know, even though that's not where I started as the executive chef, that's where I knew I wanted to work into and, and kind of, I don't want to say master because then I, I, there's a lot more people way better at it than I, but you know, become proficient at it.
0: So this is also where you met your future wife, Jessica. Uh, so Jessica, how you were a manager, a banquet manager. So you must've earned that title. how did you get to that position?
2: Well, I started at the Capitol Club when I was 19 years old. I was in college. I'm much, much younger than Thad.
0: Much younger.
2: (laughs) So Thad (laughs) was well established in his career. Um, I was looking to pay my college tuition. Um, My parents kind of dubbed me the bulldozer. And uh, my first summer home after my freshman year didn't go so well. I wanted to live by my own rules. I was an adult and they wanted to tell me I had a curfew still. So I moved out and had to figure out how to pay for school. So the Capital Club uh was on the bus route. So if you show your buck ID, you can ride the number 2 for free up and Damn down yeah. High Street. So <laughs> I uh not a lot of jobs on campus being the summertime. So I looked in the employment newspaper and they were hiring servers and it was on the bus 2 route. So I went in and they hired me on the spot. It's
0: like destiny was bringing you two together. Destiny, it uh, was. So you, you're hired on the spot. Um, and how long were you there before the? Well, what was it like? Was this your first serving position, or
2: was? So it, I, uh, it was kind of my first serving position. I had worked in a restaurant in uh, Toledo, Ohio, where I'm from, okay. called Tony Paco's. Okay. Um, but more in a hostess food line capacity. Um, my first serving job. Uh, I learned a lot. Um, I learned a lot about food. Uh, Thad was really good about educating the team on his menus, um, ingredients I had never heard of before. Um, We needed to be proficient in more fine dining service, serve from the left, clear from the right, um, and on and on. Um, After being there for a couple of years, I stood out. I was doing well at my job. Um, I really took it seriously to learn the menus, know the ingredients, Um, I loved being with guests Um, and one of the other managers there, you know, front of the house um, took me under his wing and started training me to be a captain. So by the end of my time at the Capitol Club, I was running 200, 250 person banquets um, and it it was fun. I loved leading a team. It was great. So so
0: you you said you were 19 when you started there and uh, how long was it before you got, Offered this captain role?
2: I guess I was eighteen, wasn't I? I don't know. Um, It was about a a year, year and a half, I think, into my my time there.
0: Was it the same situation that Thad experienced, where somebody uh, said, "Hey, like you're good at this"? Like, did you get that same? Did somebody to somebody recognize that in you, and did they bring it to your attention?
2: Um, I think it was a combination of that and just enjoying it. Mm. I loved the pace of it, the excitement behind it, and the immediate reward Mm. you get when. You have a great night, or your guest requests you, or I loved understanding what our, um, it was a member, it's a member-based uh, club, uh, so when I would see Mrs. Woper come in, I knew that she wanted her berries at the end of at dinner or lunch, and I could just bring them to her, and she loved that Um that recognition and, and being, I told you I have a bad memory. Well, <laughs> I did good. well with that. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I love being able to remember what my, what my guests drank or, you know, love to eat and being able to get that extra special, uh, touch. And for it's my the table. reward,
0: right. Of, oh, of knowing that like you're making someone's day. Absolutely. And like, I used to reflect, like I can, I can't reflect back on, I, I my, my brother's sister and I we used to be like, we'd have this thing every year called Catchapalooza where we'd just throw this huge party. Uh, and, and for me, like I used to think I love food and cooking, but it's, it, it takes some time to realize that it's not necessarily the food or the cooking aspect of it. For me personally, it's what you get from being able to make other people happy. The reward of seeing other people happy, bringing people together, uh, and just creating that experience for others is so incredibly rewarding. I don't know if it's just like embedded within our DNA or what, but I'm right there with you. Yeah, it's it's there's nothing better. Um, Okay, so you guys uh, eventually uh, notice each other. Uh, you, you're you're now together. Uh, so when did this vision of your dream restaurant start start to come into frame? Like, when did you first start talking about it?
2: Gosh, so well, it was 2003 when I left the Capitol Club. Um, because we had started dating and it, you know, I worked there for a couple of years and we weren't, but, you know, towards the end I said, okay, you know, and, but we loved working together. So, um, but I, we thought it maybe it was weird for, you know, other people there and time for me to move on. I was in my senior year at Ohio state. So I actually went to Brio and waited tables, uh, for my senior year of school. Um, we had a mutual friend that worked for the company. So, um, I finished my senior year of school. Um, Thad started his position with Brio, uh, and when I graduated, that's when we uh, became engaged, Uh, moved down to Texas, and uh, he opened up one of the Brio stores for them in the Woodlands. Um, Lived there for a couple years. Uh, I started my finance career. My degree was in finance at Ohio State. Um, Worked in banking. Uh, which I worked for a small bank uh, doing business loans, not SBA, but the one to 10 million. So established businesses. Um, And then we moved to St. Louis, he took over the St. Louis store um, for Brio. Again, I worked for a bigger bank, US bank, uh, doing syndicated deals, uh, 50 to 100 million. um, And learning how to do the underwriting for those, uh, basically, was my role there. So my roles in those capacities really set me up well to do the part of the business mm-hmm. I do today.
0: This is just me being incompetent, but what is it meant by underwriting? What is, specifically are you doing with that?
2: Um, So taking a company's financials and credibility and understanding whether we're willing to give them money or whether not. Whether
0: they have value. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. So we're going to stop here. We're going to bring it back to Thad. Swing the mic over. If you guys can hear that. Oh, is it going to go anywhere? Yeah. Move the base. Yeah, there we go. Cool. Thank you. All right. So, this is your first experience working for Brio where it's kind of a, a corporate situation, right? So this is your first c- corporate experience. So what was different about this experience? What did you learn? What were some of the aha moments, the key lessons from this experience?
1: Sure. Um, and I think this is a funny story. Um, they didn't want to hire me at first. Okay. Um, and I'm guessing as well, I know it was because they thought I was a little arrogant. <laughs> um, I went through the interview process and I wanted to go work for them, um I think you know you asked the question earlier. When did we know about the restaurant? like it had always kind of been a dream, yeah, you know, not necessarily this specific concept, but to own my own place. Yeah. I think that's kind of every chef's yeah. dream at some point, but <clears throat> you know, I mentioned earlier, like going to a new job uh, was always purposeful for me okay i I wanted to go to Brio to learn about business um it was um I mean, it was privately held, um, but at that time, but the, they did great numbers, mm-hmm. and they ran like machines. And Chris you know? Doody
0: was on the show. Did I mention that? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and he's still a mentor of mine. Mm. I mean, they, him and his brother have been fantastic and, and a great role model of people that I or we have learned through from through the years. Um, but through the interview process, I had made the comment. You know, I, I'd been a chef at this time for probably about eight or nine years and then in the food service re- industry for a very long time. And I had made the comment, I'm not coming here for the food. Well, I ruffled a couple feathers by that. I didn't mean any disrespect by it. So I got the rejection letter oh. in, in the mail that said, at this time, we wouldn't want to hire you. And I, I immediately called them. You know, I called called back the, the people that were in charge of the hiring at that time, and I'm like, I am perfectly okay with your decision. I haven't been turned down very many times in my life, so I just like know why, you yeah. know. Uh, and they explained the story, and I explained my point of view where I meant no disrespect for for that. And I think what I had meant by that statement <clears throat> and one of the things I think I had matured from from my days at 55 is I wanted to come in at 55 and change everything i wanted to be classical cooking you know this is, you hired me because i have this experience and and what i meant by going to brio was i'm fine with what you are i'm coming here for a different reason Yeah. you know uh and once we cleared the air i was hired and started you know a couple of weeks after that and um but the goal was to learn about business and uh, you know I had the experience of opening a new store with them, um, and then I had the experience of going to their second busiest store in St. Louis at that time, um, which was phenomenal. And then I had the excellent opportunity at that time to come back to Brio at Easton and, and uh, run their flagship store with uh, with the GM, and that was just incredible experience. You know, doing over you know a couple hundred grand a week. It just brought everything into laser focus for me of being you have to be super organized, super on top of it, you have to learn to delegate and I it was it was the perfect topper to what I had been building throughout my career of where we thought we wanted to go. It okay. It really rounded it out for me.
0: So the big lessons it sounds like for you was getting organized and uh, learning how to delegate. So get specific about organization. Uh, what was it that you learned ab- about that aspect of the business?
1: Um, well, the you know, if you weren't, you failed. You're running out of product. I mean, you know, you're serving 1,200 people a, a night. You're running out of product and aren't organized. You fail yeah. quickly. Um. And that happened to me literally the first weekend I was there. I wasn't used to that volume, and I just – under under planned and from that moment forward i i used um used and then taught my sous chefs and cooks under me to use the tools that we have i mean that's i think that's one of the things that obviously has changed over the years in this industry is with you know some of the pos systems and the ordering systems and stuff that are out there like it can make it really easy for you if you use the tools um And I did. I made myself. I'd come in early. I'd, you know, do the math, figure out exactly how much. Oh, we sold, you know, 40 of these each night for, you know, the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So I need to make sure I need to have like 140 fillets or, you know, I mean, it's all there. It's not impossible to figure out, but just, you know. Spending the time to do it and you know so, and, and teaching others to do it as well
0: getting organized for you was uh using the tools that you' that were at your disposal. What else does organization look like in your pers- perspective or if you could paint that picture of what organized is what what things are in place where
1: um, i well, you just said it. Everything kind of has a place, yeah. you know. And, and for me to walk into one of our restaurants or any restaurant, for you know, it's hard for me to still go into Brio because I still have my picture of yeah. where everything should be and how it should be set up. Somebody moved this, you know, having, <laughs> having your mes and plas set up. But you know, it 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 it's the organization piece. I think that's, it's so crucial for any person's success, whether it's the dishwasher or the, you know, the server, having your glasses polished before service and, you know, your mental checklist. I mean, I've always been a huge checklist kind of guy, mm-hmm. you know, and some of it is, it helps the sense of accomplishment. It bo- boosts mm-hmm. your ego a yeah. little bit. And, you know, so yes. My station has its polished glassware and silverware and we have steak knives and ice bins are full or, you know, I have two extra parsley shakers ready to go for Saturday night expo because I know I'm going to need them. And, you know, eliminating. So the organization to me is, uh, you know, essentially eliminating most of the what ifs that can happen throughout Mm -hmm. a shift. And and there's a plan. There's a plan for everything, you know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And one thing about a uh, checklist and having everything in place, the mise en place and what those things do is it creates habit. And when you commit things to habit, uh, your mind doesn't work as hard. You're just going through the motions. It's just like, it's like just like me- muscle memory at yeah. that point. So you save a ton of energy to a ton of mental energy and things are just smooth. And at first when people use checklists are like, what, you don't believe that I can do this on my own, but like, just getting that flow down and creating checklists that that do flow, yeah. and always improving them and always fine tuning them, it, it can be so 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 impactful. Uh, you also mentioned uh, you learned a lot about delegation. So, what does what did you learn about that?
1: Well, I th- you know, it seems like such a common thing. Um, and we joke in our restaurant company with our executive chefs and our you know our corporate chef that we have now. I could get more done doing nothing than. Other people could do slaving away all day on a station. You know, I think that and it not only is it the de- delegation, but the most important, of that is, important part of that is the follow-up, mm-hmm. you know, and touch and base with your team. Like, where are we at with this? You didn't do it. We're missing this. You only did a halftime or what, you know, whatever it may be. And I think after so many times of doing that, they start to know that you just know. Yeah, you know and then you don't get as much of the the i don't i don't even want to use the word pushback on it but like i think the other really rewarding thing that i found through delegation is um and what i think is also a a big key to our success is you teach people stuff um you know another running joke in our business is our pie of the day well yeah i made pies of the day for like 10 days and then i taught somebody else how to do it Mm -hmm. but then they became so passionate about it they would research it at home and say i want to make this pie tomorrow or i want to you know and like and that's what's cool to me yeah i mean i don't care i like making pies don't get me wrong but like i'd rather you know juan loved to do it or mike loved to do it or you know like what get passionate about something, you yeah, know? because that's really to me, one of the things that's going to keep you around working for me for a very long time is if you love what you do yep. and you, you are empowered and, um, there's this desire that you're not just going there for a check, you're getting something else out of it. How eventually can your life get better from being at wherever you work?
0: Yeah, and if I can build off the power of delegation, not only is it making your life easier, because that's one less thing you have to manage and worry about. I mean, you still have to track it and manage it, but you're not doing the work. Uh, It's also extremely rewarding, and you touched on it a little bit, to give somebody else something that's their own, so they feel like they're contributing and they're of value to the team. And that's one of our needs as humans. If you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs at the very base. It's the most basic needs, food, shelter. And then above that, it's security. And above that, it's belonging. But the best way to belong is to know that you are contributing. And that that's like the next level is finding your lane, finding your purpose. And if you can delegate and help people find their purpose and find their role within the org- organization, you're making them much more happier. Um, so uh, people don't even look at, at that angle, uh, the benefits from the other person. So yeah. uh, do you want to add anything, Jess? You're, you're smile oh you're good, you're good
2: job.
0: <laughs> okay uh okay so when did the vision when did like the, the the conversation of okay let's go do our own thing we learned a lot we're learning a lot about business it's it's now time for us to to do our thing um so when did that start to happen
2: i'll give that a break <laughs> we there um So I had gone on to work at um, Abercrombie Mm -hmm. and Fitch at the home office, and I did the capital budget over there um, and met a great group of friends that also had young toddlers. At this point, we were married and had uh, a couple of kids, um, or maybe one, and we had this little play date group where we'd get our toddlers together and we'd hang out, bring a six-pack. One of the... Well, I guess I should back up. We actually were thinking about opening the store before that. And then the 2008 financial crisis mm. happened. And we decided we were real comfortable in our jobs. <laughs> yeah. um, and that opening a restaurant right then might not be the best idea. So that's when the play group really started. Um, and we were just, you know, having fun. Jobs were going well. And one of the members of our play group was a home brewer. And so Thad was immediately intrigued by this. Um I don't want to say he was bored at work, but he had gotten what he went to... Brio four. Yeah. Um, he was ready to move on and but the timing wasn't right. Uh so he dove headfirst into brewing. He got all the equipment. He spent every he usually took Wednesdays off and I was at work. So he'd spend all day Wednesday brewing. We both read a ton. We had a lot of fun, mm-hmm. you know, trying products and learning about different breweries. But I think it was then in that time two thousand eight that he really had that time to cook at home and play with beer and it reignited this fire from my perspective in him in cooking that I think had really dwindled over the years of, you know, having young babies and getting a little burnt out at work and just bored at work. Um, Brewing really reignited that flame um, in him and we had so much fun learning about it together and uh, it brought our Concept into very clear focus. And that has been my role with, you know, that is very much on the product side and the operations side, but developing the brand, uh, who we are, what we do, and being the voice behind that, um, it became very clear. And we wrote our business plan in in 2008. In 2009. Okay. And we started looking for properties.
0: And what was it? Like, what was your brand? Who were you? Like, what were you trying to be at that time? Yeah,
2: well, we really, uh, it's funny, it's a, so we wanted to be a brew pub uh, that served Thad's style of food, uh, which is, you know, many of the things that we were cooking at home at the time. Um, Our green chili is one of our most popular dishes that he's been cooking for 15 years. Um, It's a roasted pork chili with tomatillos, and it's just absolutely delicious. But uh, the food was Done well, but unpretentious, uh, put into plates and a setting that felt comfortable um, and was accessible without it being stuffy yeah. in any way. Cool. so. Uh,
0: so- one other thing I noticed about your story too, um, not only were you planning and getting the the business plan together, you were also putting away money, which I think is huge too. You saved a hundred thousand dollars. Did I get that correct? Did I read we that right?
2: were. We were saving. Um, we had planned on the initial restaurant being, you know, the whole deal, but after twenty months of looking for locations, we. Could not settle on anything.
0: Yeah, which is good. I mean, why is it so important to not settle on anything?
2: Yeah, it was it was challenging. We were trying to put a brewery in there, mm-hmm. and we thought that we needed to be not downtown, but Grandview or more centrally mm-hmm. located. Um, and finding five thousand square feet centrally located at a price point yeah. that you you know, we had investors, we were ready to do it. It just never felt right, and we could never we never pulled the trigger. Um, and then we stumbled upon. Um, a restaurant up here in Dublin where we live that had gone out of business and the location B minus at yeah. best c-plus location no street visibility um, but we walked through it and I got really excited that was very very <laughs> lukewarm but I could just see it it was almost as if Someone waved a hand in front of my face and it was transformed into what it would be. Um, But the vision became very clear and the price was right. Yeah. Um,
0: And was it it a turnkey operation? Was the equipment there and everything too?
2: In a way it was. So we never pulled a building permit for that location. Mm. We were able to cross all our investors out. And just get a bank loan, um, an SBA loan from Huntington. Which
0: is huge. Why is that so important to not have to rely on other people?
2: I mean, it it has changed everything for us because we're not beholden to anyone. Any decision that gets made for our company comes from he and I. Yeah. That's it. Mm -hmm. So if we want to change something tomorrow... We do.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of people get themselves—they paint themselves into a corner where they get investors. Uh, and the thing is, when you start taking people's money, uh, then you such you have to start to listen to what they want to do too. Right. And that—that's we all we we do this because we want that creative freedom. We want to express ourselves. That can't sit still right now. Do you want me to move mm-hmm. the mic over? Do you? Uh, well,
1: I would just add that I, uh, it's. It's an interesting scenario because I think her and I we often seek out our peers' advice and like we we want to listen, but for us it ultimately boiled down to we also want the control of it, you know, um, and, and that's tough, you yeah. know. The, the lessons I had learned previously at fifty five and stuff like if we're able to do this, and it, it was a, it was a very difficult pill for me to swallow at that time because we knew it would mean giving up the brewing. Um, to be able to do it with no investors.
0: Yeah, let's hold off on that uh, because I want to, uh, before we start talking about you commit to the location, what advice do you have about business plans? Because it sounds like you uh, spent a lot of uh, work on your business plan. So what what advice do you have for that process?
2: My advice is get somebody who knows what they're doing to put it together.
0: (laughs) So did you find somebody? That's me. Oh, okay.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So dad would say this because I've heard him say it a bunch of times but I make his life easier not all chefs have a wife that's proficient in business and finance and talking to banks and that's my past life Um, so that piece of it was easy for him but I was able to handle that and so you know a lot of people want to maybe not a lot but people that want to go into business and for themselves and do it that's you might have the artistic ability or the, you know, cooking ability, you know, the creative side, but having the business, you know, know how and being able to speak to a bank and communicate about financials and projections in the same language, it was easier for mm-hmm. us than most. Because you seem
0: legit. Like, you know, the language. Totally legit. Uh, but, but as far as like, <laughs> as far as like, uh, like at the surface level, like what, uh, like one or two pieces of pieces of advice on what a good business plan needs to be
2: so a good business plan really needs to explain who you are uh first and foremost who are you as a business owner and what do you bring to the table i think it's really important to address your weaknesses Mm -hmm. um, because if you don't they still know you have weaknesses Mm -hmm. and they're going to ask you how you plan to negate those weaknesses Mm -hmm. and you need to have a plan for that
0: what were your weaknesses at this point
2: um our weaknesses we cover a lot of them with uh with right brain left brain over here mm-hmm. um I, they call us the two-headed monster around here because that and I generally divide and conquer well but i think um gosh i don't know sorry I'm, i i'm not prepared for that <laughs> question eric
1: well I, I i think that through the bank process the weaknesses in their words not ours she covered all of mine, and I covered all of hers. Okay. So the two of us together, yeah. they, they they crossed each other out, and you know. But if I wouldn't have had her, they're yeah. going to look at this and say, "Well, where's the business?" And yep. I had spent a lot of years in Brio, like I knew restaurant business, but to put together the the loan package and you know balance sheets and stuff like that, I, we had never dealt and with that. It's
0: really important to point out that you're not just saying, "Hey, I'm." I'm good at the finance. I'm I'm a good cook. You like you, you yeah. should just take my word for it. Like you had the track record to back it. You have a degree in finance, and you you were working in finance. You were an underwriter, which is why I asked what that meant. I was curious to so like if that actually played into the big picture. And then you have this incredible track record surrounding yourself with greatness from the very beginning of your career. So on paper, not only uh, did you say you were these things, but you backed it up with the experience. And then your dad too was a con- general contractor. Did I see that?
1: Yeah, your my dad? dad. My dad. Yeah, and I would just add one other thing about the business plan slash loan part. It was the easiest part of the whole thing for us. It was not painful. I mean, it, I mean, it was probably painful for her to put it together, but the presentation of it and the approval, like. I, I wish the rest of it would. Have been.
0: I don't. I don't get people that <laughs> like can geek out and enjoy that sort of thing. I'd pull. Oh man, I, good on you for. I just Jessica just lived. I love it. I was I love like, it. I, don't, I oh, do.
2: I love it. To find
0: a Jessica in my life. I uh, love so. it. But the uh,
2: I did think of what our what our weakness kind of is, um and it's something that I've. um gone to as, you know, we've matured in the career, but it's the the marketing and the branding side. That's not something that either of us have any kind of history with. Um, it's something that I enjoy immensely and I'm learning.
0: Is that why you're friends with Troy
2: Allen? Uh, <laughs> I wish Troy Allen would do my branding. He's amazing. Um, but he's got his own fun concepts yeah, to run yeah. these days. But uh, we that was a weakness that I recognized, that we recognized. I didn't know who would do our website. I needed a logo. I needed, you know, we had the name, but, and we brought in some really great, people that are still working with us today that helped us to get all of that put together and to create an image. I think that that and I have very strong opinions on what it should be. We just can't actually create it. That's not in our skill set. So that piece and um, some mentors there sitting with us and talking through the importance of having a clear message on who you are and what you do um, and then making sure that everything stems from that, that was... um, we spent a lot of time learning about that early on to make sure we did it right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So we, we do our best with that. But I would say that that was our, our weakness going in.
0: So you guys opened uh, 2012. Um, what was that process like? What was the process of opening like?
2: Oh, it was crazy. We uh, Thad quit Brio in the beginning of August of 2012. What was it? that 10 weeks. I think it was 10 to 12 weeks and we were open, so we didn't pull a building permit. It was a cosmetic uh, overhaul, uh, kitchen equipment. Some of it needed repaired, but uh, we really transformed that place in a matter of 10 to 12 weeks. So what did you
0: need for the SBA loan? Do you mind me asking? How much that you got for that loan like total you had 100,000 total
2: i think that we did it for under 500,000 wow
0: for that amount of space it sounds like a big location that's pretty good right which which shows it's it's good to find those to be patient to wait for the right opportunity because you don't want to be buried in debt you don't want that overhead
2: and i think that's what it was it felt like the right balance for us of it's a it's a good enough location for the right price, you know it just it hit that sweet spot mm-hmm. where I said this is the this is the risk I'm willing to take on, mm-hmm. and I think we can really do something great here and it's been a great success mm-hmm.
0: so thad started to touch on it, you had mentioned that the vision had always been to be a brew pub uh a, you open with the intent to still be a brew pub, but at some point you decide that maybe we we're going to give up on the, the the brew part
1: well, we had talked about. It. We were we would just open as a restaurant. Mm-hmm. It's what we were good at. It's what we knew we could do that with no investor. So I don't want to say we hit the easy button, but we were like, let's just do it. Mm-hmm. You can no always investment. scale into it too. Yes. And I think a lot of people get into trouble, uh, like going for their vision on day
0: one. Yeah. And the m- most successful people in this industry never got to where they are by just getting there right away. They scaled into it.
2: Yeah. So. The day that we looked at that restaurant space, I actually texted him from the parking lot because I told you I could just see it. Yeah. I could totally see it transformed. I said, Thad, it's instead of 101 Brewing Company, which was what I had registered, it's 101 Beer Kitchen, Rustic Food, it's Craft Beer. Yeah. I said, We can open this quickly if we cross out the brewing. I said, We can, you know curtain off the one side because it's kind of divided into three sections you know we want the space to always look full so you know we'll just kind of shutter the one side and we'll put the brewing equipment in there later when we can afford it Mm -hmm. well from the first weekend that we were open we were on like two hour waits every weekend so i said i'm not going to be able to give you that space for brewing (laughs) much to his dismay
1: Yeah. So, and from then, I mean, we've we poked around a, a, about looking to do it a couple other times, but there is a few legal obstacles that we we need to overcome to be able to do that. So, um, do you mind
0: getting into detail with those, or is it
1: private? Huh? I'll let her talk about
2: it. There. Um we opened our second location thinking that we would be able to uh, leverage the two and finance the brewery. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I then learned and did not have a good understanding of is that it's a federal law called the Tide House Law. There's three branches of... Uh, Liquor licenses, basically, manufacturing, distributing, and retail. If you're the holder or have a financial interest in one of those areas, you cannot have a financial interest mm. in another. So even if I were to sell my portion of the business to Thad because we're married, there's still a financial interest there. Uh, so it's funny. We keep seeing little examples, and I is won't call- Is a divorce
0: in the option? Or? I know, <laughs> right? I've, I've
2: heard marriage is the worst financial decision you can possibly make. So, uh, But- Honestly, I think at this point we feel pretty settled about it. Mm-hmm. Um there's something to be said I joke that, you know, good cooks are like, "Oh, I want to open a restaurant. Wouldn't that be cute?" The reality is it's not cute. It's yeah. really, really hard work. Yeah. And we felt the same way about opening a brewery. I know nothing about this industry. I've never worked in a commercial brewery ever. Thad did a stint over at Great Divide, but I just, I don't think that counts. So, you know, maybe let the people who are professionals and know what they're doing brew their beer and we can just have an appreciation for it and put the best beer on our taps in our restaurant and focus on what we know how to do well or what Thad knows how to do well. That's why they keep me at the office.
0: <laughs> so what you're saying right now it really reminds me of the whole e-myth, right? The entrepreneurial myth, the book that, people uh who get into this industry are really good at doing a thing and they don't consider everything else that needs to happen to run a successful business and they get into a lot of trouble uh so what was the other thing that helped you so it sounds like you were you were opening the uh second location to fund the concept of of getting that brewery that thad wanted so badly uh and that didn't happen uh but what else was determining? That growth? How did you know you were ready for a second location?
2: Uh, actually, the second location was never in the plan. <sighs> uh, we said one restaurant is plenty. Whenever they would ask us, guess whoever, when's the second? We said never. <laughs> this is, one is plenty to handle. One really busy restaurant is plenty. Um, we had a major aha moment uh, about a year in. We have fantastic people, fantastic. Our managers, hourly, everybody. What do great employees want?
0: Opportunities.
2: You got it. They want opportunities (laughs) for growth. They don't want to do what they're doing forever. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if they're not learning and growing, and I think they get bored, and that's when you move on. And so we realized we had no opportunities for real growth. Without expansion. And so we committed to our people, then that we would be willing to grow on our terms, on our pace, on our schedule, on our everything. Um, And that when it was right, that we would that we would do that. So um, that was the real reason behind number two. And then we said, well, Maybe if we do it, we could finance the brewery. Uh, lots of home brewers on staff uh, always been very interested in seeing that piece of it come to fruition. Mm-hmm. So
0: you just hit on something that I think is a key key point. Uh, I think two things determine growth. one is cash. do you have the cash to actually do it on your own because uh, you don't want to get to that point where you have so much overhead that you can't support both locations right. or you don't want to get into that cash de- like uh, deficiency? Um, but the other part of that is like you only grow when you have the people to grow mm-hmm. because business is all about the people. So if you don't have the people in house, if you and that's when you know it's time to grow. Is what you you have people that hit, have hit ceilings, and it's your job as a, an owner to provide those opportunities. Because if they if you don't give them the opportunity, they're gonna go find it someplace else. And if you're lucky, they really have what it takes. Maybe you can even invest in their own vision, what, what vision they have, and you can be their business partner going into another concept. And that's where the best restaurant groups, in my opinion, are formed by creating opportunities for their people. That's what Danny Myers does. Uh, he said it himself. So uh, do you want to reflect on that, either of you?
2: Well, I think that that, and I hope it doesn't take us too far ahead, but that's very much where we are right now. So we ended up opening a third location much sooner than we thought we would because in a great opportunity came along and Mm -hmm. we had the people to do it. What
0: was the opportunity?
2: Um, Polaris. It's the Polaris area. We were never interested in it. They had approached us several times, but the area and the building that we are in is on the rooftop side, not on the mall side. This won't make as much sense to you if you don't know Columbus well, but... We are a suburban gastropub that needs to have parking and easy access for families and people that live in the suburbs. Being in the Polaris mix is not where we wanted to be. So being on the east side of 71 uh, on your way home, easy access to the rooftops was perfect for us. Uh, And we really like the landlords out there. They've been great to work with. Beautiful. And so after opening our Westerville or Polaris store in August, of 2016, we knew that we needed to pump the brakes. We did three locations in less than five years and we needed to hit the reset and get our infrastructure where it needed to be. Thad and I were wearing too many hats. Um, We had hired a controller already at this point, but we really needed to invest into our team to make sure that we had a really solid platform from which to grow Um, Our mission, we talk about educating in the joys of food and beer and just educating in general. Mm -hmm. We needed to put our money where our mouth is. And so we hired a training director who also does our social media, kind of a goofy mix. (laughs) But... Looking at our people and saying, you know, Thad said in the beginning, and we hear him say this a lot around here, but he can teach anyone who cares anything. So looking around at our team and saying, who do I have that really gives a shit? You know, who's going to come to work every day and give it their all no matter what's been thrown at them? And looking at those team members and then saying, okay, now I like you. You're a great person you fit the company well, what are you good at? Mm-hmm. So, And then taking that and applying, so taking yes. off my plate, what and again, they're good at. sense of purpose. Sense? We're
0: talking about delegation. And when yeah. you give people that, here's a lane, you create lanes for people. People right. want to self-actualize. They want to find their purpose in life. And if you can recognize that in them and help them find it and then give them an outlet to express that, that that is, Chip Connolly is a great book. It, it, like he says, start with, it's, it's called Peak and you start at that, the top of the, the needs, the most important need, which is oh, self-pash sure. and you work backwards from there. So you, it's exactly what you're talking about. You find where these people belong. You recognize that and you, you work backwards from there. It's too often. We just start with uh secure safety. Like you, here's a paycheck. You, you know, you have a paycheck. Now you're secure, you're safe, but we need more than
2: that. Right.
0: Beautiful. I love it. Um, so, so these people, your train director, your social media, uh, person, uh, that that is one person in the controller, were they all in-house or did you go to other places? They're all
2: in-house. So we, those were people that were with us. Uh, not our controller. He was actually someone who worked with me at okay. Abercrombie as an analyst and I knew he was great and so I stole him. So <laughs> what
0: is a controller? That's a... Yeah. Is that like a, a position you designed?
2: Well no, our, I guess it's probably different for every company but Evan uh, is our controller and he oversees all the finances. So up until... I say that that was your lane. Oh yeah. So, you know, they call me non-ops and that is ops. Okay. Anything that falls under non-operational functions. I was handling marketing, the website, BWC, payroll, you know, uh, workers comp, insurance, all that stuff, HR, branding, marketing, all of it. I mean, there's just a huge, the fun stuff, right? (laughs) Um, and so the thing we hired, Evan was our first big hire. Um, in getting that controller piece in here because I had to look at the things that were on my plate and say, what am I responsible for that is not adding value to this company? I'm not adding value by processing our invoices. Mm -hmm. I can get somebody else to do that. I need to be focusing on our community involvement and our branding and our marketing. That's more important, Mm -hmm. even though I don't know how to do it. Mm -hmm. It's, It's more important. So I felt maybe this is backwards. But I felt more comfortable learning the things that I didn't know how to do and keeping those close to me.
0: Well, you know that you'll push it, that you'll take it to where it needs to be. And you can't necessarily leave that to somebody else. Um, But once you get to where you know it needs to be, then once you paint that picture of perfection, you can delegate it to somebody else. That is exactly
2: how we've done it. And we just feel more comfortable that way. I would rather know that I have to figure it out. Uh, especially when I don't know how to clearly communicate what's in my head to someone else to do it because they'll never do it the right way. They can't read my mind.
0: And even beyond that, uh, you can't be completely dependent on somebody because if you have uh, what, is a people dependent operation. If that person that's important for one aspect of your business leaves, then where are you? Right. So you need to know how to do that thing and, and get the standard and understand it. Maybe you're not supposed to be there forever, but at least if you have to be there, you can be there.
2: Exactly. So that's
0: a really good point to, yeah. to bring so up. So that
2: was, that was a key piece of taking work off of my plate. Um, and Evan does a fantastic job for us. He's such a resource for our stores. Um, he'll go and help them with anything they need to, um, and having the training director, uh, beverage director, so he came up. He was one of our first hourly employees uh, that worked with us. He's now he was then a manager, and now he oversees beverage uh, program for all three stores. Beautiful. Uh, that was another key hire. And then we also promoted our chef. Uh, to an out-of-operations uh, chef position. We change our menu four times a year. It's a massive undertaking, uh, and now he's able to um, oversee that. So we really took, I'm going to call it a step back last year, financially. Yeah. We really invested in our infrastructure quite a bit, but we knew that it was necessary to get these great people that were working for us on a better track that would set the whole company up for more success in terms of happiness, and fulfillment and feeling like we really had our heads above Mm. water and like we were marching in the right direction. So just to
0: be clear, when you say you had to work in your infrastructure, you're talking about developing your people and getting those lanes that you're missing and really finding out where do we need to focus on where do we need to be to really do this?
2: absolutely cool uh
0: this has been a great conversation like seriously guys yes this has been a great conversation i'm pumped uh i'm really excited about how well this is going and uh, i'm curious is there anything else we haven't touched on up to this point any thoughts that have come through your head that you were sitting on to share when the time was right now's the time to get it out
1: before we move on to the speed round well i i would just re-emphasize the point um i believe i briefly touched on it but this business as any business i think um It's about the people. Mm. If you don't take the time to invest in your people and teach your people and set expectations for them and hold them to those expectations, I don't think you're going to succeed in any walk of Mm -hmm. life. You know, um, we have four kids and, you know, the lesson I'm trying to teach them, I don't care what you do. Just work hard at it, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, you can be a very successful janitor if you take a lot of pride in your work, and you know. I mean, it's it's simple things that I think, you know. I know I grew up hearing, but really applying those to 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 the kids and the workforce today, and, and invest in them and teach them and mm-hmm. and bring that out in those people that you see that in because it will um, certainly help ensure your success
0: yeah and like you the last part you said there like make sure you bring it out of those people because honestly at the end of the day i feel like th- we have that low road of community or that low road of like brain uh function like uh, you know there's our a consciousness and there's a the subconscious and when we're trying to find our path like we're gonna re- we're gonna rely on that subconscious and it's, an, it's constantly collecting data so when you need to like give hints to that some sub- that subconscious and that's like when you point things out like just to kind of wrap up with the 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 junk the chunk of today's conversation Point out let people know what they're good at because you're going to help them find that path and it's so so important all right cool Um, we're going to stop it there we're going to take a break a break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back All right, guys, it's time to get real and answer this question honestly. Does the quality of your website match the quality of your restaurants? If the answer is no, you need to do something about it because 89% of your guests will go to your website before going to your restaurant. So you've got to make sure you're bringing it to all aspects of your business. And this is where Bento Box comes in. Not only will Bento Box help you deliver your brand and your story online, but it will help you leverage the full potential of the internet, because websites are no longer static brochures; they're dynamic tools that help you drive revenue. With Bento Box, easily update menus, promote events, share press, sell gift cards, take catering orders, and book private events. Plus way more directly from your website find out why bento box is trusted by thousands of restaurants around the world including past and future guests like suvla pizza emily 11 madison park the meatball shop and more head to get bento.com and make sure you mention restaurants unstoppable to get up to fifteen hundred dollars off your initial setup payroll and benefits. It's hard. Sometimes it feels like a foreign language, especially for small businesses. I mean, you're too busy running your business. You don't have time to be an expert in all things, taxes and regulations. That's why there's Gusto. Gusto is making payroll benefits and HR easy for small businesses. Modern technology does the heavy lifting, so it's easy to get things right. PC Mag and Fit Small Business have called Gusto the best payroll for small businesses. Gusto will save you time. 72% of customers spend less than five minutes to run their payroll. Gusto is more efficient and reliable. Four out of five customers actually reduce payroll errors after switching to Gusto. People who succeed in this industry have access to systems and information, and Gusto will provide both. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service. To help support the show, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited-time deal. Sign up today and get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash unstoppable. G-U-S-T-O.com slash unstoppable. We're back. The first question I have for you, Fad and Jessica What are your it factors, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Starting with Fad.
1: The devil is in the details, I think. You know, I have lots of mantras going through the restaurant, but I'm like, if you walk over a piece of trash, you're on my list. You know, everybody has to stop and pick up the trash. Everybody has to stop and run the food. Everybody has to do everything. We all wear a million hats and if if we can do that we're successful. Awesome. And Jess, what's your it factor?
2: I'm a planner. Organizing and then organize again. And the better I'm set up with a plan, the better my week goes, the better my people run all of it
0: there's a Jessica out there who's looking for an Erica. Let me know. Cause I could use a Jessica in my life for sure. Uh, that is definitely one of my weaknesses for sure. Um, but yeah, so, so important that people say it all the time, plan your work, work your plan and uh, have, have a plan of action for sure. Uh, that biggest weakness.
1: I feel like I can be too hard on employees. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, you have to remind yourself in this industry in all industries to stop and recognize the good like we've talked about and not just harp on the bad mm-hmm. um, and, and and it's harder the further I get from being in the restaurants for hours at a time, you know because now I just get snapshots mm-hmm. and I have to fix the snapshots, but I don't get as much of the one on one time with the hourly employees as I used to. You know, and, and and it's something I am working on trying to find a solution to, but I haven't yet. Wait, so and
0: summarize that that weakness. I don't know if I picked it
1: up quite. I I think it, too hard on employees, okay. especially in my new newer role. Um, so cool.
0: And Jess, what's your weakness?
2: I'm an optimist. I think I'm too rosy sometimes and that's why I have Thad to bring me right back down to reality. <laughs> yeah, but
0: I think it's good. I think it's a strength and weakness and I think a lot of people you'll find that your strengths are your weaknesses uh, because you can get blindsided you can be, you know, like you're too hopeful and right, uh, but if you're optimistic, I think you're more likely to try something. You might get into it and realize, okay, um, time to backpedal a little bit. But you'll never right. know unless you try. Right. Uh, you got to push. You got to test things. You got to yeah. figure out what it will be like and then correct, right? Yeah. I'm definitely
2: uh, the risk taker and I'm very fortunate to have balance in my spouse.
0: <laughs> nice. Uh, what's one question you ask or thing that you look for during the interview process? What are you, what are you looking for in these people?
1: When I used to interview the hourly employees, I would literally put a piece of trash on the floor that we'd have to walk by to the interview to see if they would stop and pick it up because I am trying to find out if they care. It's
0: the excellence reflex, the excellence muscle.
1: <laughs> if you'll do that, again, I can teach you how to cook. I can teach you how to bus tables. I can teach you anything, but I can't teach you to stop and pick up that piece of trash because you will or you won't. So
0: what percentage of people that you interviewed actually picked it up?
1: Um, the first restaurant, almost all of them yeah. that we hired. Yeah. I, I bet it was probably 80%. Well. Wow. And
0: was it like a blaring piece of trash? Like a, like a, yeah. just, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. a good trick. You yeah. guys, well, write it's that funny. One down.
1: I, I got the idea. I, I forget the n- name of the movie, but it was a Matthew Broderick movie and he was uh, applying for a dishwasher job and he fixed a flower vase that was uncentered on a table. As he walked out from being turned down from a job, yeah, chasing down, <laughs> and they chased him down and hired him.
0: Oh, that's great. Oh, uh, What is your biggest challenge today?
1: People, how always are, people. I how mean, are you overcoming that? Um, you know, uh, we look to hire when we're not hiring. Um, always trying to interview. Uh, what we deem to at least be good applicants or resumes that come across our desk uh and try to stay ahead of it I mean obviously it's a it 's a large expense to do that, but what 's the alternative to be way behind
0: yeah yeah, um I think Jess wants to chime in no <laughs> okay
2: that, yeah no that's absolutely right we i i don't like being put in a position where we have to hire someone,
0: yeah. No. I don't like
2: that position. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't work out very well.
0: I hear you. So uh, share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team.
2: Uh, it's straight from the good book, do unto others. Uh, mm-hmm. We talk about that a lot uh, in terms of our service standards, uh, very involved in the training uh, processes that happen. And we start from why with our training manual and we teach our people why we're doing everything, and then they can make decisions on their own to empower them to figure it out on their own when that one thing that we didn't go over, we say, put yourself in the guest's shoes. You're spending your 50 hard-earned dollars on your dinner. Do you want dirty plates on your table? Do you want you know, to hear the busboy next to you clanking dishes? Put yourself in someone's shoes mm-hmm. and treat them how you would want to be treated if you were spending your money. Treat your teammates the way that you would want to be treated. It pretty much... Answers all questions.
0: Heard. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So common within your restaurants, not common within the
1: industry. For me, um, and, and it's something we open with, uh, I want our front of house and back house staff to give genuine hospitality. Oh. And I, every place I've ever worked for, obviously once to take give good service but i feel like it, the the message gets lost a little bit in the scripted menu wraps that we would do or the 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 things that we i want you to say sir and ma'am mm-hmm. or I apologize or whatever it may be. Well, I just it's want, forced. It's not genuine. I want it to be genuine. I want it to feel like they're coming to your house for Sunday supper. And mm-hmm. that might be different for you than it is for me. Mm-hmm. But if it's genuine, people will know that. Yeah.
0: Like I'm a big proponent of systems, processes, procedures, but like anything in life, you can take something too far. And when you start diluting the experience, the, the, the characteristics, the, the, the character of your people, the, the, the reality of your people, the, the, I don't know, the, the where I could keep going just you don't want to change people people are who they are and when you put them into it people don't fit into molds it's just the way it is so stop trying to force them into molds um, okay what is one book that's a must read if you want to be better people or restaurant owners Do you have one? can't say Danny Meyer saying the tables.
2: <laughs> I like start with why yeah. I'd be I mean it's just if you don't know why you're doing something then it probably isn't worth doing mm-hmm. Um. But otherwise, I read a lot, but was, I love to just read nonfiction and biggest, my organizational uh, <laughs> magazines, real simple. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what's the uh, biggest lesson from Start With Why?
2: Oh, gee, it's been a lot of years. I mean, I think just determining what your why mm-hmm. is. I think that we're very clear on what our why is, you know, both in terms of our company and why we started the company in the first place.
0: People don't buy into what you do. They buy into why you do it. Absolutely. Uh, Share an online resource or tool that you use and leverage. Uh, It could be a magazine, online magazine or a place you go to get information.
2: We use untapped for our beer menus. We update our beer menus every day and we are very strong proponents of our information on our menus is always accurate. Always.
0: So what is untapped?
2: Untapped is a beer logging social media site. Basically, they have um, upgraded their system to enable us to put our beers that are logged by the breweries. We can select the beer and create our menu for each of our stores, and it populates our website. And it also creates a PDF that we can print uh, our beer menus every day from. So prior to switching to that... I had a word document set up for my managers that they would have to update with lots of. I want the ABV in there. I want the price oh, in there, nice. and I want the size glass in there. Because that's
0: smart, I didn't. I didn't know. I knew about the app. I didn't know that they were now yeah. using the app to serve the restaurant industry. Because that's, that's all that 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 research you don't have to do. And when people are just uploading this for you, so you're just your are congr- Your uh, what's the word? Um, there's a word for it. I can't think of it. But uh, crowdsourcing, essentially, that, that data, that information.
2: It's fantastic. And it we were using beer menus, but we switched to untapped. Uh, it offers more because it cre- they created a custom menu for us to download. And so now my managers aren't fumbling in Microsoft Word. And they don't know how to use the tabs. And things weren't lined mm-hmm. up. And that really messes with my OCD. So, so
0: is it like a, a website that you go to that you have a membership to? It is.
2: So we do pay a subscription um, for it. What is it? How much a year? Yeah. Five hundred per okay. location and per year.
0: How do you justify that?
2: Well, my my stuff is always up to date. It mm-hmm. makes it easy for my managers to do what I expect them to do, and they have a lot of other things to do. Uh, the other way that I justify that is because now they have this thing called a verified venue. So now we are a verified venue. So all these beer geeks, which we are clearly a beer restaurant. So it's marketing too. It is. It's marketing dollars, 100%. They can follow a beer. So when we tap that super rare keg of- yep. And so they know that it's there, and so now it's connecting all these dots for us that was not happening before, and we can post our events on there as well. Was that
0: their their original business model?
2: No, it was purely a social media app where people could log their beers and like show their friends, like, "Hey, I reached this level. You know, I'm the like hop goddess or whatever." Yeah,
0: (laughs) you got a drinking problem. (laughs) Yeah, so
2: they really they just changed that. We it's been one year since we switched to that, and it's been great.
0: Oh man, that's cool! Uh, first time mentioned on the show, so thank you very much. Oh, absolutely. And this next question similar to the first question, but more like in-house, tangible technology that you're using in-house. What is one piece of technology you've adopted in your restaurant that's improved operations efficiencies? Which it sounds like Untapped has done that for you. But if you, anything yeah. else,
1: yeah, we got a good one. I, I'm not quite sure how efficient or anything it's going to make has made us yet, but we just rolled out uh, a new accounting slash recipe system uh called compete okay um
0: c-o-m-p-e-a-t
1: Christ. yep and uh you know it since just mentioned earlier we changed our, our menus four times a year four times a year we were having a very difficult time with the organization of that and you know we've been very adamant since we opened everything on our menu we know what it costs you know etc cetera, etc cetera. but so we started this process looking for a system that would help us better manage that, help us better manage inventory, help us better update our cost, um, et cetera, et cetera. And we stumbled upon this uh, compete after a lot of research over really a good year. What year. were the
0: other competitors that you're looking at? Oh gosh. Um, well, the
1: GFS tool. Th- we we use GFS. They have an internal tool that they use. We were uh, which GFS. Uh, Gordon Food Service. Okay, excuse cool. me. Okay. Uh, one of the, the close competitors was uh, Return on Ingredients. Okay. Um, and he was actually a local guy that built the system that Brio and Bravo used for a number of years. And he went out and started something on of his on his own. Um and we didn't go with his because this was a more encompassing system. Uh, he definitely had the recipe part of it mm-hmm. down, but then w- once we boiled it down, um, not only did we get the recipe, but we also got uh, you know an easier system to get invoices through the system to track what products are coming in and out of our restaurant that ties to our POS system, and then it also as a bonus is a whole accounting system on top of it. So awesome. we were able to move away from QuickBooks and move into compete completely. And there we go. <laughs> is <laughs> there a
0: certain size that you would recommend uh, being at before compete is a worthy investment? Is it multi-unit or yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, and I think it really depends too on, on um, your business model. I mean, like, if we changed our menu once a year or something and we had one or two units, QuickBooks and our Excel program that we had kind of house built, it worked okay. But the, the amount of data we were accumulating in really a pretty short amount of time was really becoming overwhelming and we needed something to help us with that. Beautiful. Awesome. All right, guys. So this is
0: the big question. You ready for it? I don't know. <laughs> if you got the news that you'd be leaving this world tomorrow – all the memories of you, your team and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, but you could leave three pieces of wisdom, three things, you know, to be true about not just the restaurant industry, but about life in general and success. Uh, What would those three pieces of wisdom be?
2: Choose happy, be nice and work hard.
0: Choose happy, be nice, work hard. That anything else?
1: I would definitely have work hard in there. I would have embrace the people. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's the it's the thing I love and hate about this industry. <laughs> to be honest with you, um, you know our success is because of them, and our headaches are because of mm-hmm. them as well. But embrace it, and the more you are involved in it, the the easier it is, I think. And then, um,
0: You got, well, we, we, you got, you gave us four technically. So, uh, I'll I'll let you guys get out of that easy. And you've been so great. Honestly, this was such an awesome conversation. I really connected with you guys. Uh, incredible advice. Uh, and, uh, it was was just so much fun. Thank you so much. And we wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. So, who is one independent restaurant operator, somebody you admire in this industry? And I will say, I'm going to the Dayton, Cincinnati area starting, I'm leaving tonight. So, anybody in that market that, if, it, if nobody does then you can call anybody out
2: I don't know if we know anybody down there I've got a spreadsheet Those four so. kids two dogs and three restaurants keep us uh,
0: <laughs>
2: but, um, the full house what about Ian Brown at the Whitney House Ian Brown, Ian
0: Brown at the Whitney, the house. Whitney
1: house and uh, Eric Goodman with um, Eric Goodman
2: Yogis and
0: Ian Brown, Eric Goodman, look out. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the the show. And uh, how can we connect with you if we want to maybe ask you a question about the tools you're using or maybe come join your team? What's the best way to connect?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, The best way to connect with us is email. We have an info at 101beerkitchen.com. And we are always happy to answer questions. I love hearing from other restaurant owners and happy to share advice or... Um and uh, employment as well. Always looking for great people who care and pick up trash off the floor. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so this is episode 444444. 4, Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash four 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 for a summary of today's discussion. I'll link to the tools and services and books recommended. And Thad, Jessica, again, I can't say enough. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule uh, to, to sit with me, to share your story and to share your advice. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable.
2: Thanks,
0: <laughs> Cheers. Well, there is another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. And man, it was a good one. Uh where to start? Uh I mean, well, first, I gotta say this is actually episode four four three. In the episode, I said this is episode four forty-four, uh, correction. This is episode four four three. So head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash four four three uh to get the links to the tools and uh, to the books that were recommended in today's conversation, plus just that summary of all uh that was discussed. And I think the big lesson for me in today's conversation, the one I really want to draw attention to is the using delegation, the power of delegation, uh to educate Your team and to feed into their higher needs. People don't just want to go through the motions every day. They want to feel like they're uh, contributing, and you're really just growing your team and educating your team and building on their skills by delegating these things to them, not to mention how you're freeing yourself up to work on the business, which brings me to my next point. Uh, Jess had some... Sorry about the dogs barking in the background. Uh, My neighbor's dogs. They are... (laughs) I'm not going to stop them, and I need to get this episode out, so they're there. I apologize. Anyway, back to the point. Uh, Jess was talking about how she does everything herself before uh, and and really masters that portion of the restaurant so she can learn it, and then she delegates it, and I think that's a really important uh, key thing to bring attention to. You want to know how everything in your business operates, so... You know, you get it to that point uh, where you understand it really well in case that person who is handling whatever delegated or, uh, you know, new task, if if they leave, uh, then that portion of your business goes away. So you really need to uh, know all of the elements of your business and by taking it uh, and tackling the project uh, when you first start doing whatever this element of the business is, you really learn everything about your business. Uh, So great stuff. Today, uh, like always, guys, please do reach out to me, Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Eric Cacciatore on Instagram and Twitter. Man, those dogs are going crazy! And uh, <laughs> uh, let me know how I can serve you. Uh, I really want to take next uh, restaurant unstoppable to the next level. And my vision for that is by you know really listening to your needs and creating unique content around those needs so we're not just the podcast anymore but we're courses lessons lectures i really want to make this platform more robust and i really want to put you in front of the people in lessons you'll need to become unstoppable uh so that's how i want to serve you in the future but i need your help let me know what you want keep those five-star reviews on itunes and Stitcher radio coming they help so much i do accept donations every little bit helps but the best way to support this podcast this podcast is by sharing it. So please, if you know of anybody who's aspiring to be great in this industry, put this podcast on their radar and, uh, you know, let's let's spread the word about Restaurant Unstoppable and uh, in, in empowering the people of this industry. Uh, that's the mission. Booyah. All right, guys, that's all for today. Thanks for sticking around this long. I love you all. And until next time, peace out.